Hey everybody, welcome to episode 42 of Junior Golf Keys. I'm your host, Matt, and our guest this week, Dan Jackson, is the director of golf performance at the G2 Academy, uh, the first all-girls academy in the United States for junior golf, and uh, super excited to have him on. Dan and I crossed paths uh, a couple years ago, uh, working together at another academy, and um, you know got to know each other a little bit there, have kept in touch over the past few years. Uh, tried to connect actually when I was up in Hilton Head, which is where the G2 Academy is uh, last year and was supposed to have another trip up there this year and unfortunately had to cancel that just due to everything going on with COVID-19. But um, eventually Dan and I will get together in person, but we had an opportunity to jump on Instagram this week and uh, record a live video session where you know we just chatted through a bunch of things like Uh, his intro to golf and what his path has been like uh, that's led him to be the director of golf performance at the G2 Academy. And uh, we also talk about being a student of the game, um, something I really admire about Dan just as a coach that I've kind of paid attention to with him over the past couple years that I've known him. Uh, Just seems to always be working on a project, always trying to learn, always trying to get better so he can turn around and put that knowledge into building young golfers, um, helping them with golf and just helping them with life in general, um, just really bringing that knowledge to them. We're going to chat a little bit about modern technology, modern coaching. We're going to talk about developing the holistic player. And then we're just going to talk about um, you know developing women versus men and what that looks like uh, from a junior golf perspective and something Dan's super passionate about. He's a father of uh, identical twin daughters and uh, you know, raising young women is obviously something that uh, is important to him. So Dan's a great guy, um, you know, super nice guy, super knowledgeable about the game of golf and about helping young players and developing them. And uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this chat. So I was able to pull the audio out of our video chat, post it here on the podcast. And, um, you know, I hope you guys take away some value from it. So I uh, really appreciate you guys tuning in week after week. Um, the podcast continues to grow and, uh, I really appreciate the feedback that you guys give me to lead me in a direction of, you know, kind of deciding what's going to be beneficial for me to find in terms of guests and topics to talk about those types of things. So I continue to encourage you to do that. You can email me at juniorgolfkeys at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow us on pretty much every other social media platform with Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, YouTube, uh, the Instagram live video you can catch on YouTube, uh, which I've also uploaded to our Facebook page and LinkedIn page as well. So uh, you can watch that live video if you have uh, time to do that and you're able to watch it via video, or obviously this is a great option to listen to the audio from that conversation. So uh, really appreciate you guys and uh, excited to get into the chat. But before we do that, I do want to talk to you about one of our partners. All right, before we get into this episode, I want to tell you about my partner, Golf Kicks. They've changed the game to help you bring your off-the-course shoe game on the course. They've got golf spikes that you can install on almost any pair of shoes. They've won some innovation awards with Golf Digest, My Golf Spy, and you might have even seen them closing a deal with Mark Cuban on Shark Tank. So it doesn't matter if you're a competitive junior, a weekend amateur, or you're teeing it up on the professional circuit, 
Golf Kicks adds some flavor and functionality to your game. And if you head over to golfkicks.com and use the promo code JGK20, they'll give you 20% off your order today. Now let's get to the show. Hey, Dan, how are you? Good, thanks, man. How are you? Good. Yeah, you busy? Always. <laughs> <laughs> but busy's good, right? Yeah, busy Busy is better than not. That's so, right. Yeah. As long as we're always busy doing what we love doing, that's, uh, it's always the good thing. How's things been? Yeah. Really good. Really good. Um, yeah, podcast is doing well and, you know, just – chatting and trying to grow the game and also uh you know working a little bit on the professional tournament side which has been fun it's been a Good. fun shift new challenge for me so um yeah things are great sure. you Good. no very good yeah no everything's going really well uh, yeah. over at the academy where where i am now with a couple of great guys and girls uh yeah. a lot of good things really happening good so really kind of Pushing the boundaries of, in terms of modern coaching as much as possible. Um, so yeah, it's really really good. Good, good. Great mental performance, uh, great strength conditioning program, and um, great facilities where we are as well. So nice, really nice, and really enjoying what we're doing. So good. Well, I'm glad we could uh, jump on and do this. I'm excited for it. No. I've seen you in a couple of years, so. Uh, it's been a while, right? We've, our paths have kind of gone up in different directions. Yeah. Uh, but it's amazing within the, the golfing world in particular how paths will always cross at some point or another. Yeah. So always really important to, you know, keep good friendships, keep good connections with people. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, do everything that we can for future generations to build the game and to build the love of the game that we've probably grown up with. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is really important. I do too. I do too. Um, so I know we're having a bunch of, we're having several people join right now, but um, just kind of quick intro. I mean, congratulations to you first off. I mean, you recently were named uh, Director of Golf Performance at the G2 Academy, which is an exciting yep. move for you. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it was. You know, a lot of things, you know, had happened. You know, a lot of things were going off this whole coronavirus thing. Uh, yeah. Um, a lot of opportunities were potentially coming my way and you know <clears throat> I really love the area that we live and the opportunities that the G2 has Yeah, and a lot of their forward plans in the future are really really good and obviously continuing working with junior golfers I love working with junior golfers I love you know the challenges that it gives us but the opportunities that we can develop with them as well so yeah, um, you know we're looking at obviously developing a few other things, areas as well in this in the Bluffton area. So, yeah, it's it's really really good. Like I said, there's a lot of opportunities, a lot of things. That, you know, I can we can do what we really are passionate about with me and the guys. And you know, I've got Sebastian Brown with strength and conditioning, Scarlett yeah. Jordan, Rebecca Kerry, uh, who's you know the assistant coach as well, and. You know, we're really able to op operate a really good program. So, good. yeah, a lot of possibilities, a lot of good yeah. things. And I was looking forward to making a trip to Hilton Head this month, really. Well, it would have been last week, I think, we were supposed to be in Hilton Head. Oh, yeah. And I was, was going to try to connect with you while I was up there. Uh, family trips, right? 
Yeah, so my in-laws have a timeshare in, uh, in Hilton Head. Yeah. And so we've been going every year, typically later in the summer. Uh, but my sister-in-law's pregnant right now, and she's due in September. So we tried to bump it up a little bit, but um, we just decided to, to postpone the trip. So um, okay. yeah. I'll definitely have to get up there and, and check you guys out. We can shake hands or bump elbows or whatever we're doing these days. <laughs> I'm, I'm, moment, I'm more than happy to shake hands. Um, <laughs> Good. No, no, dude, because like I said, there's a lot of great courses in this area. Yeah. Elton uh, Head's renowned for, um, obviously, the RBC. Um, and, you know, is has just got such a wealth of good courses in this area. So, yeah, yeah, pop by, but we'll uh, definitely get you out one of the good ones for sure. Cool. Um, well, let's jump in. I know we're already started talking, but can you just context purposes give the audience um just tell us a little bit about how you got introduced to the game of golf and kind of what your path has been so far yeah sure so you know as a youngster throughout my whole life i was always heavily involved in sports uh, i was always either if it was basketball or soccer football soccer um to high levels uh, and then obviously golf as well and a little bit of cricket when I was growing up in the UK. Um, but I was always fortunate to play at a high standard. Um, and that really got me, that gave me the the thirst really for competitiveness um, and competing in, in as many different areas as possible. Um, and like we all know, golf gives, you know, great life experiences, life, um, life coaching in a way. Uh, sure. So as I got older, you know, I finished playing some of the other sports. I finished playing um, basketball. I finished playing soccer. And then got more and more heavily involved in playing. Uh, turned professional when I was 20 to 21. Um, and then really got introduced. I got introduced to a gentleman whose father was actually played in the Ryder Cup. So there's a gentleman called Peter Alice. Uh, famous golfer, famous Ryder Cup player. He's now a commentator at BBC. Yeah. Uh, and I got to, I got the opportunity to work with Gary, his son, who was the national team coach. He was, you know, the director of golf at the Belfry, which is where they've played the Ryder Cup and they sure. play courses for the PGA of the UK. Um, and I've always loved to help people. I've always loved the coaching aspect. I've always loved being able to make a difference in people's lives. So spending time with him really got me moving in the right direction in terms of what I wanted to do. So spent a little bit of time with him for a year or so and then had the opportunity to work for David Ledbetter. So with Led, it was uh, in Austria, yeah. a little bit in Germany as well. Um, and in that time, I was going between Austria, Germany, and America. Uh, so I was going backwards and forwards. Um, worked with a lot of great people, a lot of great players. Skills of the trade. Mm -hmm. um, but also, as I continued working with good players and great coaches, like the passion for helping people grew and grew. So I, I got more interested in developing my skills as a coach and as a person and then going on to help other people. So okay. always, what can I do to help this player? 
you know, the more I learn, the faster, the quicker, and the more holistic approach I can take that can really help everybody in different ways. Every player is different. Everyone needs slightly more technique, slightly less technique, a little bit more from a supportive role or a peer group role. Mm. Um, and that's really kind of the art of a, a coach, what I've really been doing. Yeah. So I went back as a force from Austria uh, to America for a few years. Um, and then was asked to come up to Hilton Head um, by Jonathan Yarwood. And he and I worked together for a number of years. Uh, Jonathan is a top 100 won US Open with Michael Campbell and has taught many, many people. Uh, unbelievably good coach. Uh, great to work with. Great to learn under. Um, a good friend as well. So, yeah, um, yeah, he helped to continue to form my style of coaching. Yeah, and then that's put me in a position where I feel very well prepared in order to continue doing the players that I work with. Yeah. So it put me in a position where I was able to develop a training program as well that I knew was not only giving people technically solid information, but also devising a program where they can really engage with their training. Okay. Which when you're looking at developing any player, whether it's a junior golfer or an average golfer or an elite tour player, you know, whenever they train, it's always a matter of high intensity, high focus, and really intentful, purposeful training. So yeah. um, everything that was devised as well and designed was based off of my outside um, learning. So yeah. for me, it's always the more I learn, the more I help somebody. So in my I'm, I'm working, I'm doing a master's in sports coaching with the University of Birmingham in the UK, which this gives me more research and empirical evidence as to how elite players are developed. So yeah. It's enabling everything, all the guesswork to be taken out and being much, it's much easier to then direct players when you know that it is really going to benefit them because it's been proven, there's been a history of development, there's been everything that I've looked at. It's like, okay, this is clear. This is how it could be done in terms of developing, let's say, a really good elite junior player. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, that's kind of brought me to a position that I am at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um and knowing that it's, it's about a team, a player should have a team behind them. Yeah. Not just one person. It's having somebody who can obviously give you technical information, give you a variety of charts, teach you how to train, how to get the most from your practice, how to prepare for tournaments. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, having good, a strength and conditioning coach. Having someone who knows how the body develops, how yeah. especially junior bodies develop. You know, and how the differences between how girls develop and how boys develop. And then also having somebody who can tackle them from the mind, tackle them from a mental perspective. Yeah. Is, is huge. It is, for sure. And it's, and again, at the end of the day, it's always about doing the right thing for the player. Mm. Um, 
and it's not always the easiest route to take. Right. One that in the long term is always going to be best. Yeah. Yeah. That, like I said, that's what we're all about. We're all about doing everything we can for the people that we work with. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Um, yeah. Spread over, you know, two minute quote for 15, 20 years of, well, probably longer actually now. Actually, no, it's longer. So we're getting, unfortunately, <laughs> we're getting older. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of, that. I find myself in that position now. Um, yeah. I say, great opportunity, great future. Yeah. Um, and will continue doing everything that I can um, for the players that I work with um, and doing it with sincerity and genuineness. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Well, you've had a good path. Um, and congrats again on your new role. Um, I know it's an exciting new opportunity for you to – continue to grow and you know teach new people and affect lives and, and stuff like that so i'm happy for you um something i've admired about you that i've you know got to watch when you know we crossed paths and spent some time around each other were and you've kind of talked about it a little bit already but just continue continuing ed continuing to learn um continuing to develop um just put more tools in your tool belt essentially um to be able to help better and I just kind of want to talk about being a student of the game. Um, you know, I think, you know, I am, I like to learn. Um, I like to do stuff like this and have good conversations, you know, to, to learn from people that have, you know, really got a good understanding of different aspects of the game. And I know that you're the same. Um, but I think it's also really important for players too to be students of the game. So, I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, great question. Um, Tiger was a student of the game. You know, he's arguably the greatest player ever to have played the game, but he also understands the hard work, the history behind the game, and how yeah. it's evolved and how it's developed. So, anybody wishing to be of a high standard um, needs to be a student of the game. You need to understand all the nuances of how, you know, how training is an art form. You know, not just going out there and beating balls, but how do you train efficiently? How do you train to get the most performance? Or, you know, every time you walk off the range, it's a matter of saying, okay, what have I learned today? And this is something that I say to a lot of the students that I work with is, you know, what every time you walk off this range, it's either you've improved, either you've worked to improve something or you've learned something. Mm. You ever walk off the range and you can't say that you've, done either of those two then it was a wasteful session so being a student of the game for me is learning all the different areas learning the history learning you know the history of the tournaments the history of the majors you know the history of the players and how people play different how the ball flight was different mm -hmm. the technology was different you know what is the difference between modern day coaching and coaching 40 years ago yeah so has it evolved absolutely it's evolved you know, with the introduction of technology, uh, we're able to quantify the changes that we make. And I think that's, for me, being a student of the game from a coaching perspective, that has been pivotal in giving me the facts and evidence that I need to make changes to players uh, and to make them better players, to make them better people. Yeah. So... 
yeah, student of the for any aspiring player, any aspiring coach, it's yeah. it's a matter of understanding the field that you're in, understanding what came before us, um, and having respect for the people that came before us, you know, and what they did and the doors that they opened. Right. You know, David Ledbetter was regarded as being kind of the godfather of modern day coaching because he brought it to the masses and he made people aware. Um, that coaching was an integral part of player development and, and now it's gradually expanded into many different areas that a coach has to kind of cover when they're working with people. Um, so I think it's just, yeah, I think it's really, really important that. Yeah. How does a young player own that, I guess? I mean, obviously there's something from a passion perspective where um, I kind of think of, so Josh Brewer, the head coach of the women's program at the University of Georgia, I've talked yeah. to him about this, and he's huge on recruiting golf nerds is what he said. You know, he says, I'm a golf nerd. I want to recruit golf nerds. Like, I just want people that want to dive so deep into the game and learn all kinds of different aspects of the game, and whether it be playing or, like you say, history or those types of things. Yeah. Um, but when we take it back to the game specifically – um, just from a playing perspective, how can young players better, I guess, quantify their practice time or measure their progress or their success um, and really take ownership of that? You know what I mean? Um, stats. Like, college coaches love stats. Um, yep. DJ Tour loves stats. Um, and I think when you start utilizing the technology that is around – you start to get a very you, you start to take emotion out of the game. So yeah. when one comes off a golf course, and you know they've let's say they've hit fourteen drives, and you know they've hit eight fairways, but the last three drives that they've hit kind of all leaked out to the right, and they'll say that my driving was terrible today. They remember the last three shots, and they forget about the other eight shots that they've hit the fairway. And it could have been absolute. They put bombs down there. Right. So from that perspective, you know, players have become very, very emotional. And is it true? Is it not true? It's, it's not true in that situation. You could say you've had a, good, you've had a decent, good driving day. It was the fact that your putting was poor. But um, to get clarity, to get the best from their training, they need to know stats. Mm. They need to use, you know, you know, you've got shots to hold, you've got game fours, you've got people like that um, who, or platforms like that, um, that can really help to focus someone's training. Yeah. And if someone is a golf nerd and they want to get the most out of their training, I know that's something that I do with my players um, is I want to see quantifiable information. You know, how many fairways, what's your proximity to the hole from 80 to 100 what's your proximity from 100 to 120 yeah what's your scrambling what's your up and down what's your bunker play um you know fairways and greens things like that that is interesting to know but when when you get it from data and you get it from and you're checking your stats then like I say, it takes the, away the emotional factor and it says okay well in fact my driving on that day was pretty good um I don't need to go to the range and beat balls with a driver for two hours. What I need to do is, in my stats, it says I'm weak from 50 to 80. 
Yeah. So yeah. I'm not putting the ball close enough from 60 to 80. I'm putting it to 20 feet. And the best guys in the world, let's say, are putting it to 15 feet. Mm. So I need to get that down. Yeah. And you can start to refine, you know, look at a little bit on the technique, look a little bit on, you know, uh, you know, random practice, block practice, uh, kind of a blending phase as well. Yeah. But the competition, like putting pressure on within uh, practice is also really, really important. So that for me, if someone is a golf nerd and you want to get better at playing and you want to be a high collegiate level golfer or you want to be a high amateur or professional, mm-hmm. I, I think in the modern age, I think they're really important. And I think they're almost must-haves. Yeah. I do too. It's interesting though, because I've had some recent conversations with other coaches and even some college coaches at really high level programs that struggle with their players wanting to spend the time that it takes to collect that data. And it's just interesting to me because there's some really, really strong players out there that don't pay a lot of attention to that, but I agree with you. I think it's super important. Um, I mean, what would you say to those players that are just like, gosh, I don't want to spend the time putting that, you know, it takes way too much time to log all that information and put it into a system. And I would, I would always ask them on what level do they want to get to? Because, you know, you look at the top players in the tour, um, both LPJ, PJ keep stats. Yeah. Okay. If, if you don't want to spend, you know, 30 minutes inputting the data, you know, you know, switch 30 minutes of inputting the data with 30 minutes of watching Netflix or, yeah. or Amazon Prime, whatever it is. Um, sure. For me, it's all the best, a lot, the vast majority of best players are using stats. Um, so if you want to get left behind, by all means get left behind. Right. Uh, because if I've got, if I've got two players who are both playing in the same tournament week in, week out, and one takes stats and one doesn't, one is lot, the one that's taking stats is less inclined to be emotionally driven or emotionally mm-hmm. effective in both a positive way and a negative way. Um, and it's those negative times when the high score comes in. So for me, do stats because it gives you something one upon someone, something that another player may not be willing to do. Yeah. So, I mean, that's an interesting point because, you know, we were talking before this or sharing some messages back and forth about just developing the complete or holistic player. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me from your perspective, um, you know, keeping stats is something that can almost help you manage your mental game is sort of kind of what you're getting at. Yeah, hugely. Yeah, absolutely. Because, like I say, if again, I, you know, I'll put a player's hat on now. If I was going to go to a, a, an event, and if I was to play in 10 events, okay, and yeah. I that's for all of them, if I'm walking away from those 10 events, and that may be in a, over a period of, let's say, four months, um, I'm going to get a very good idea of where my weaknesses are. Because, yeah. again, if I'm, if I'm laying up to... If I think, oh, my, my distance, I, I feel really comfortable from 100 yards. Right? Let's say I feel really comfortable from 100 yards and I put them at 20 feet. Okay? Yeah. Well, 
if I look at if if I go for emotionally and I say I'm not very good from sixty to eighty, I'm just not pulling it that close. Well, my sixty to eighty yard, even though it may not be close for what I want it to be, it's probably still closer than my hundred yard shot. Right. Right. So if yeah. I'm a hundred yards out and I'm putting it to twenty feet, that is, you know, that's a solid two foot. Mm -hmm. I may the make percentage from twenty feet is probably five percent, if that. Yeah. Um, but if I'm at 60 yards and I, I think I stuck from 60 yards, but I'm actually putting it to 12 feet. Yeah. Right. And I'm not happy with 12 feet. Well, that's fine. But right. it's eight feet closer than 20. And the make percentage from 12 feet is considerably higher than 5%. Right. Uh, probably, I don't know, probably 20, 20% or something like that, I think, off the top of my head. But sure. Um, for me, yeah, it's absolutely really important because as a coach that's in, as a coach if a player comes to me and says okay here's my stats and here are where my weaknesses are i know it's not from a emotional standpoint it's they may be emotional about it but it's from yeah. a fact standpoint and i can say okay i can see your week from 60 let's work on 60 because you've got four shots of those around mm -hmm. and if you take 12 feet to make it 10 then the make percentage from 10 feet is considerably higher than 12. Right. Right? Yeah. So we may save half a shot around. Okay? And if it's a four-day tournament, I mean, there's two shots. So sure. it's like low-hanging fruit that can pick off very, very easily. And it may just be the fact that they don't practice it because they're not confident. Well, if you're yeah. not and you don't like 12 feet, let's practice it, let's work on it, let's work a little on Trackman, let's look at the launch conditions, let's look at the spin, um, and give you a variety of different shots that you can slice into the green and hold right. it, right? Yeah. So then all of a sudden, 12 feet becomes 10. I mean, who knows? hey, who, who knows? It could become eight, it could become six. Um, then obviously you're gonna start liking the 60-yard the shots. Yeah, for sure. Right. Well, and effectively what you've done is you've taken the subjectivity out of it, right? And made it an objective approach, like you said, or not emotional. Correct. You know, yeah. it, you know, emotion, emotion can be a great thing for sure. Don't, you know, don't get me wrong. Um, it can be, you know, negative emotion can really make people focus more and push harder. Yeah. Uh, and then that's that mental aspect. That's managing those mental expectations. Right. But when you have something that is supported, it, it makes it much easier to then commit to and to then devise a plan that makes it makes much more sense so yeah. then again if i if i'm if i think i stuck from 60 but i really like my 100 well if my 60 is closer and i can really train and utilize my time much more efficiently from 60 yards worth of training right. then i mean i i'm just going to start hitting it closer to the green because i feel very good at 60 yards yeah if you look at the stats on tour you know, is it the guy that's hitting most fairways that's making the money? No, it's the guys that are absolutely bombing it down the fairway or missing yeah. the fairway, right? The guys that are absolutely bombing it, hitting it closer to the green and just getting and just wedging it 60 yards. The guy that's hitting the driver 270 and has got much yeah. green. So, again, we've got to be, as a coach and as a player, you've got to be aware of what we're doing, what the coach is doing, what the player is doing, but also what is happening around you. So, what's happening at the collegiate level, what's happening at the tour level.
Right. What is the trend? Yeah. Those trends can help to divide really good training programs. Yeah, for sure. I think it was, I think it was the first U.S. Open that Brooks won. Uh, Mark Brody, who does strokes gain for the PGA Tour, yeah. was asked, you know, what was the what was the crazy data point that just stood out to you from this tournament? And it was exactly what you're talking about. Proximity to the hole yeah. translated to lower scoring. It wasn't necessarily the dispersion. Yeah. Um, it was just pure proximity and, uh, and just the advantage that you have by being closer just statistically on what you're able to do on your approach shots. Exactly. Yeah. Mark Brody is great. Uh, Mark Brody is a great statistician. Um, I remember talking with him one time and, you know, I mentioned this to the students that I've worked with in the past because, again, it's, it's really important information. You know, I remember Mark saying, okay, you know, who's closer, from, who puts it closer from, from a pro's perspective or an amateur? Okay, so put it closer from 20 feet and it was like a pro. Okay, who puts it closer from 15 feet? Okay, a pro. Who puts it closer from 12 feet? And you would think it's a pro. He was like, no, it's amateurs. Amateurs put the ball closer to the hole, um, but they're lagging the ball to the hole. But the going in, ball players, elite players, yeah. elite players from 12 feet are going to try and ram that ball in the hole. They're looking to make it, but they're putting it past the hole. Right. I mean, if it, you know, so they're trying to put it past the hole, um, but they'll put it two feet past, whereas an amateur golfer will lag it up because they're afraid of three jabbing from 12 feet. Sure. Right. So understanding that type of information is really important when you're looking at becoming a more of an elite player. Mm -hmm. You've got to be standing at twelve feet, looking at making it, as opposed to trying lagging it close. Okay, twelve feet, looking at making it. So if you can wedge it to twelve feet, and you look at making it. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a system that you think is good for collecting and? Um, I guess just hosting that information or is it more of an approach of conversation like this with a player and just There's, taking notes? So what does that look like? I mean, system-wise that we've used, bef I've used before in the past is shots to hold. Um, okay. Shots to hold it is a great platform, also GameForge. Um, I've had more experience with shots to hold. Um, and Shots to Hole allows you to input all the data, and then it gives you, you can also, you, there's an aspect on it as well, which enables you to hypothesize what your average scoring would be if you improve the certain areas that really Okay. If I was to input 100 rounds of golf, you know, and it would have, you know, within 20 yards, 20 to 30, 40 to 60, 60 to 80, and all the way up to like 250 yards, 260 yards driving right. and putting. Yeah. You can then highlight an area which makes, would make, have the biggest impact on your overall score. So it may flash up, okay, putting from nine to 12 feet uh, and your approach shots from, let's, well, I'll stick with it, 60 yards, right? Yeah. And then it enables you to hypothesize if you improved it to a certain standard, what effect it would have on your theoretical score. And the improvements are really clear. Like I say, like sitting down and talking with a player is, I think, really important. But it's also to have that at the side of you. Because As a backing. 
as a backing, yeah, because then it's, you know, I, you know, if, as a coach, if I'm on the course with somebody and I miss a few shots because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about their swing more, but I'm not thinking about where they're missing as much. I'm thinking about, you know, what mental state they're in, whatever it may, sure. whatever reason it may be, you know, those stats help to collect really important information and data. So yeah. Yeah. combination of two, I think it's sitting down with a player and I think it's sitting down with a player with a platform to store all the data. Yeah. And you go to look at any of the top coaches that we know, I'm sorry, top college coaches that we know, and they love players who gather the data because it's, mm -hmm. it, it shows evidence of where the areas that they're weakest or where they're strongest. Yeah. You can devise a core strategy that plays to their strengths and plays away from their weaknesses. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So if, if I was saying that I love 100, but I'm actually getting it closer from 60, then it affects my game plan. So for short par four, I'm not going to take an iron off the tee if it's viable right. to lay up to 100. I've, you know, if my stats show I'm closer from 60, I'm just going to knock it to 60 yards as opposed to 100 sure. yards. So yep. instead of a fine, I'll, you know, I'll take a three wood and hit it down there 40 yards further and have a little wedge in from 60. Yeah. Um, so and I think that is kind of, that's the direction modern coaching has gone. Yeah. Um, because it helps drive an accelerated learning process. Um, yeah. But a manageable status. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about that a little bit more. Modern technology, modern coaching. Um, and I guess really that kind of goes into talking about developing a holistic player, right? Um, those tools. So what's your stance on just modern coaching and, and modern technology? I know that you've got a lot of experience with different technologies, whether it be, um, you know, ground force technologies or K-Vest or body track, um, you know, those types of technologies. Yeah. I mean, for me, like modern coaching, it, you, you said the word holistic. I think coaches have to be aware that it is not just technical uh, improvements that you're trying to make. That is part of the jigsaw uh, or puzzle. In England, I would call it a jigsaw. So I, <laughs> I, always, I always say to players, you know, think of a jigsaw, think of a puzzle, and it's uh, 500 pieces. Yeah. Um, you know, the fundamentals, you know, when you do a jigsaw, you tend to do the edges first because it makes it a little easier to then frame the picture. Sure. So when it comes to developing a player, the fundamentals are those edge pieces. And it's really important that, you know, as a coach, you understand the technology. You understand its positives, but you understand its pitfalls as well. So it's negatives. So What do you mean by that? Well, you know, people can become too reliant upon the technology. Mm. Um, and it takes away the art of actual a scoring game. It, you know, they just think, okay, if I, you know, if I get my attack angle to minus three and my path to minus two, then I'm, I'm going to be golden. And that's not the case. It's, yeah. it's a matter, it's, it's part of the puzzle. It's part of the jigsaw. Um, and it is it's really important to include it in what we're trying to do when we're developing players, but understanding the use of technology and the positives is, is important. Uh, if a player gets reliant on technology, then it can take away from the artistry. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, golf's a game about putting the ball in the hole, right? And so you have to learn how to play the game. Obviously, there's a technical aspect to that. Yeah. Um, that's not a secret because you need to be consistent in your ball striking and, um, you know, those types of things to be able to score. Yeah. But, yeah, I agree. You can go too far in the direction of, you know, spending too much time just looking at numbers. The, the numbers. And you just get so caught up in that you forget to put the ball in the hole. That's it. I mean, like numbers are great because it enables you to understand what is going on from a factual base. So, but with that, you know, with coaching, it's get the information, get the data, and then devise a plan so that they can be blended in and worked over in through training and then over onto the golf course in a pressure situation. Right. Um, and for me, that is coaching is an art form. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I, like I said, I learned it from, you know, Jonathan's just come on. I learned it from, yeah. um, and being able to match everything up is really important and being able to explain the player in a way that is simple to understand mm -hmm. is also an art form in itself. So a lot of times, you know, sometimes coaches may go into, they may know all the information and it's really important to know that, but then, yeah. Don't blurt out all the information. Give it a little digestible pieces, you know. And I think that is is really important when it comes to technology and coaching and developing a player. Yeah. And then, like I say, and then blending it with the team that the player has around them, blending it in with people that we know, um, with strength and conditioning, with a mental aspect, which then really starts to piece all those things together and help to solidify player's development for sure. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's like, it's like pulling really hard from both directions, like the, the data and technical side, but the artistry side at the same time. And somewhere in the middle there is the sweet spot. Because it, um, it kind of makes me think like we're, I brought it up talking about modern technology and modern coaching. But as we're having the conversation, I'm thinking of a movie. Have you ever seen Seven Days in Utopia? I've heard of it. I don't know if I've seen it. Okay. It really speaks to the, the artistry side of the game. So Robert Duvall is an old farmer, and this kid breaks down in his truck, and he's basically stuck on this farm for a week with Robert Duvall. And he teaches him a lot of lessons through being out on the farm and doing some different stuff that are really more of like a – just life lessons, but also, you know, lessons that are going to help in golf. And one of the things specifically is he's, he takes him out. He's going to have him paint a picture one day and he takes him out and they're set up behind a tree and the green is behind the tree where the pin is. And he says, now you're going to sit down and you're going to paint how you're going to hit this shot. And then after you're done, you're going to get up and hit it. And so I think, I just bring that up because there's just a whole other side to it, right? Of that artistry piece and, Absolutely. you know, visualization is such a huge piece of the game, spending that much time, you know, painting out a picture and really visualizing that and then executing the shot. Of course, he knocked it really close to the pin. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at, I mean, look at Tiger, look at what, what is always said about Tiger, you know, his creativity, his artistry, the shots that he's hit on tour have been, you know, not only long drives and penetrating the ball fly or whatever it may have been, but it's also, you know, the shots where he's in danger, the shots where he's right. creative. And that's, 
that aspect is important within coaching to, you know, if a player comes along, you know, throw them in the trees, throw them in really difficult positions, throw them with, you know, short side bunker with seven yards of green to work with, with, you know, a pitching wedge and get them to yeah. open and get them to use the bounce more and get them to understand create these shots. Um, yeah. I think is is part of modern coaching and is part of using the you know the technology as well to help to develop really high performing players. You know, you look at like Sevi or mm. you know, these guys didn't have all the technology, so there's no excuses for us to not use that artistry and to right. use what they did from going back to being a student to the game. Um, understanding what they, how good these guys were. Yeah. And that they developed through playing and through creating different shots and through adversity. Um, and I think that is, you know, another really important aspect of that development. Yeah, so, I mean, different coaches feel differently about where time should be spent and everything like that. I mean, from your perspective, obviously, you can drive a lot of that off of stats because we were talking about this, but just in general... How, what are some good ways that young players can build just good practice habits and good practice routines that are going to help them to your point, challenging shots, you know, becoming more of an artist out there, yeah. you know, those types of things, how can they structure their practice or playing um, not necessarily tournament playing, but just out on the course yeah. to, to develop better? I mean, I, that's a really good question. I think it's very much an individual based, um, you know, some players are more adept at being able to stand on the range and hit shots. Other players just want to get on the golf course. So I think yeah. juniors have to, or any amateur golfer, has to really look at where they find that they can get the most, the most useful and efficient type of training. Yeah. But going out there with a particular plan in mind, you know, going out there thinking, okay, I'm going to work on, you know, my putting and my chipping. Okay. Mm -hmm. And understanding that, okay, I need, to imp I need to do some lag putting. I need to do some speed drills. I'll use a little bit of technology with the blast motion to focus a little bit on tempo. Um, and really trying to incorporate everything that is available now. You know, yeah. so much information that is available uh, through technology, through, um, uh, through YouTube and things like that. But does sure. it pertain to the individual? That's that's the key factor. Does it pertain to that individual player? Yeah. Uh, that's where people get a little bit mixed up. So in relation to how does a junior get um, to useful of their time, get more use of their time? Yeah. I think they've, they've got to be, become a student of the game. They've got to be, become a student of their game. And mm -hmm. how they like to see the golf. Do they like to see the high draw? Do they like to see the fake? Um, Understanding that from a personal perspective will start to develop their, their playing skills. And I know, okay, speaking from, from a personal perspective as a player, I couldn't spend a lot of time on the range uh, yeah. just working on technique. I was much more thinking about the ball. Okay, I'm going to try and hit a high draw. Okay, how do I minimize the draw? Well, I used to play with a really strong grip. So, how, how would I figure out how to minimize that draw by making my grip a little weaker? Right. Uh, and playing around with it, but I had fun doing it. Yeah. Because as a player, you've got to be able to, as a junior, as a junior in particular, you've got to be able to have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. 
be don't be afraid of making mistakes. The best players make mistakes, but they are able to learn from those mistakes. So yeah. um, being able to reflect on what they've done, thinking about what you know what caused that shot and how they're going to try and change that for the future, I think is a really important thing. So yeah. junior golfers in relation to improving their training and practice. Uh, very much individual, but very much going out there having fun. Very much, you know, working on all different areas of the game. Hooking uh, yeah. up with a, a better player mm. is a huge factor. Yeah, you know, it's very easy to be a little bit nervous, but go and ask the best player in the club. That's yeah, game. you know, not saying challenge them to a game, but go and <laughs> um, yeah. play with them, learn from them. Um, and pick up little things that they do really well. Um, I think junior golfers will be surprised that, you know, some people may hit it a little further, but it's really the scoring zone. Like, within 130 yards, yeah. really good players start to stand out. Um, I'm sure you're aware that, you know, you improve that area. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I've had, you know, some high-level junior players on here, and I've had some uh, good college players and some professional players and all of the ones that have been successful and continue to see success, it's interesting. It's just every – their structure is very similar. They spend a lot of time working on their short game, yeah. that 100, 130 and in. Um, if they're fortunate to have, you know, a really good wedge area that they can work on, they spend a lot of time there, uh, spend a lot of time putting, and then don't really hit a lot of balls on the driving range. They do, obviously, to warm up and stuff like that, but – unless they're specifically working on something, um, just refining some different stuff on the range, they're not just sitting there hitting a whole bucket of balls just for the heck of it. Um, they're taking it to the course. And so then they're relying on their short game and just playing the game and trying to figure out how to get the ball in the hole. Yeah. I'm, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, you, you know, when you look at the range, you know, of any, sometimes a lot of junior events, you know, people are hitting balls on the range, bang, 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 bang. And then they, they hit balls for an hour and then leave five minutes for the putting green. Right. Um, uh, I mean, how many shots are they going to take on the putting green and with one club as opposed to with a driver? They'll take, let's say, 14 with a driver, but they'll make 30-yard putts uh, with a putting. Right. So I, I think that's a really good point. I think, you know, people have got to understand that, you know, the importance that all the areas play in a round of golf. Yeah. When you're warming up, that's all it is, is just a warm-up. Yeah. Wedges, a few irons. The work should have been done before the tournament um, in relation to course planning. should have been done yeah. weeks in advance and then verified when you do a practice round. Yeah. And then, you know, being able to bring that all together um, at the right time is really important. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I'm always saying to junior players, you know, don't, worry too much about what you do on the range it's just a warm-up it's just where you're going to warm up where you're going to stretch out yeah and sometimes paying attention to what you're doing on the range that day you may not be you may have some tendencies that aren't things that you've been working on but hey you might need to just figure out how to get it done today right yeah that's it it's, you know i was talking to someone earlier and they were saying you know that's exactly what they do you know with uh, some of the players that they have on toys you know, they're just, if they turn up that day and, you know, the, the body is, humans were very messy. <laughs> right. Right. 
our body's not going to move the same it is today, tomorrow, because we may sleep on it with a little bit of a stiffer neck. Yeah. Brains, we see how we're hitting it. And if the ball's going left, like if it's hooking left, and, you know, we've just got to figure out, you know, how do we minimize that a little bit? Just kind of hold it sure. off a little bit, whatever it may be. Yeah. And then figuring out a game plan from there. So as a junior golfer, as any golfer, you've got to be really adaptive and also yeah. resilient um, when you're playing. It's, you know, if it's not going well, you know, okay, what's your plan to handle it? What's, you know, we can't just get frustrated, throw our clubs, hit our clubs into the bag and expect us to get a lot better. Right. So, game is hard. Game is <laughs> really difficult. And yeah. a lot of people that are working very, very hard at getting better at it. Mm -hmm. So, I think a junior golfer's resilience, a junior golfer's, you said it earlier, accountability, mm -hmm. um, is something that has to develop at the same time as the golf swing. Yeah. I know our, you know, mental conditioning coach that I work with, Scarlett Jewell, is amazing at the work that he does with uh, the players. Um, and it's all about, you know, there is responsibility of a coach, there is responsibility of physical uh, conditioning coach, there's responsibility of parents, of peers, yeah. friends, teachers, um, but also the player. Yeah. The player has to take responsibility. You know, the player has they have to bring something to the table. If we had a big round table meeting, uh, we all bring something. We all, you know, a player has to bring more than just themselves. They have to bring sure. um, guidance and, you know, determination, grit, like I say, resilience. Yeah. Understanding that accountability, that if you do something wrong, put your hand up and say, I did it wrong. Yeah. How are we going to move forward from that? You know, yeah. I'm sure everybody makes mistakes and, but we're judged by not the mistakes that we make, but the, how well we pick ourselves up and move forward from those mistakes. Yeah. And like I said, so that's going into more of the holistic approach. You know, yeah. All aspects of development, not just one or two. There's multiple areas in which that we need to improve upon. Yeah, definitely a lot of different components. Um, well, I want to talk about G2 specifically because obviously, um, that's a huge mission that you're on right now is to, to build and grow that. Um, it's the only girls Academy, I think, or the first all girls Academy in the country. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. So it's an all girls Academy, obviously in Bluffton, South Carolina. Yeah. Um, it's really at the embryotic stage, like the early part of its, its growth. Yeah. Uh, we have a great owner, a great team, um, a great support, uh, mm -hmm. for its growth. Uh, we're just currently uh, looking at building a training center. We are going to be purchasing a golf course. Um, so we're going to have a real, you know, great base in which to develop players. Yeah. Within the training center, we're going to be having all the latest technology. Um, we're going to have a center conditioning uh, facility as well, as well as okay. location for mental. Um, yeah. And it's all going to be on our own 18-hole championship golf course with a short game, with a six-hole short game course as well. So, oh, nice. Yeah, the short game course is really good because it's, it's scoring zone yardages. It's yeah. The yard, it's going up to 140 yards. Um, and when we're training the girls, it's, you know, we can work on certain areas on the range, on the course, and then let's go to the short game course. Yeah. So 
everything that we're doing for the girls is obviously to give great opportunities to open more doors for the girls um, and get them really ahead in the world and make, you know, we're also always talking about equality. Um, I think everything has leaned a little bit more towards guys. They have more opportunities. Um, as a father of identical twin girls, yeah. Um, for me, it's I want every opportunity for them as they're growing up, as as they're moving forward in the world. Yeah. And how old are they now? Four, five, six, six. I wow. I know. I've survived six years. I've got I've got three girls. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing how quickly time goes. So yeah, they're six, it is. they're six now, and they've got their own personalities. You know, they're telling me what they want to do, um, <laughs> and you know, like I say, like as as a father of girls and as a father in general, um, yeah, you want everything. You want everything, every opportunity for your children. Um, so when we get students coming in, or anybody that I work with, you know. It's a it's very humbling knowing that you know parents are giving you their child and saying, "Please help them, please guide them." Please yeah, opportunity. And I, and I, I know G two and myself take it really seriously. Yeah, it's a lot of sacrifice that people make, um, and that sacrifice is very important and it's very serious. And you know, it's an honor to have someone make that. Yeah. Everything that we do at G2 is, is for our students and our students alone because yeah. if they're happy, um, then everybody's going to be happy. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, before we move towards wrapping up, can you just touch on what, what are the differences in developing young women versus young men? Um, just curious about that. So physically, like, girls will mature a little faster than mm -hmm. boys. Um, they also reach their peak height velocity a lot faster. Yeah. And they're able to do more strength training and at an earlier stage as well. So okay. we're taking all that into consideration and we're looking at their growth. Um, we're looking at where girls tend to get more power from. They tend to get a little bit more power if we're looking at ground force reaction. They tend to get more rotational power. Mm. Um, because they have more strength in their hips. Um, boys can tend to be very explosive, um, a little bit more laterally, but definitely more vertically in relation to right. Yeah, look at basketball, it's got great, unbelievable vertical jumps. Um, so we look at that from a physical side, obviously mm -hmm. the maturity aspect from a mental side, and then from golf, it's obviously with the ground force reaction, but also, you know, everything that comes from a social perspective from girls and everything mm -hmm. that, and how different it is from boys. Um, so it's, it's a really good, interesting challenge. Yeah. But also with the, a lot of the international students that we have, it's also giving them that social aspect that, you know, they're 5,000 miles away from a parent. Sure. You know, we have to be a parental figure. We have to mm -hmm. be you know, be able to guide them as best we can yeah. um, in the absence of a, a father or a mother figure um, that's here and present. So it, it's, like I say, it's a great challenge. It's a great opportunity. Yeah. Uh, and tying everything, all the differences together, mm -hmm. 
with the maturity physically and mentally that yeah. are different than boys. Um, boys obviously become stronger, but become stronger at a later time. They reach their, reach their peak strength a little bit later than girls. Yeah. Um, so just trying to train them in that way and train them with the understanding and the education of that and knowing that as their bodies grow, you know, extremities grow first, so limbs and legs, uh, hands and feet kind of grow first, and then the torso comes in a little later. Um, so knowing what differences that makes to a person's golf swing is also yeah. really important. So with the girls' maturity, we've got the girls that we have at the moment are really mature. They're really good some really good players. We've got June Jang, who is number three in the US. Yeah. Top South Korean player, national team player. Um, so developing her and allowing her to grow physically, mentally, and technically. Yeah. Is is a lot of fun, but obviously a great challenge as well. For, yeah. You know, for a team as well, it's you know pushing people outside their comfort zones. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's where people grow the most. Yeah. Yeah. What um. Is there any advice that you can give to parents of uh, any of the young ladies that might be listening or that aren't listening, but they just have young ladies that are up and coming in the game? Yeah, I mean, from a parent perspective, the best thing, obviously, it's love, support, um, and care. Um, you know, you look at <clears throat> everything that you can do as a parent, uh, giving them the opportunities, uh, yeah. making the sacrifices which all parents will happily make for their children. I think is one of the most consistent factors that has shown in elite players. Yeah, a lot of elite players, um, and when I say a lot, I mean there was a there was research done on the European tour. Where there was about 130 players, and they found that the common factors within those players were the support of their families. Um, their families play a huge, huge role in yeah. allowing them to reach the pinnacle of their dreams, play on yeah. or LPGA, PGA. Yeah. And it's, it's the positive support. It's the constructive support. It's the, you know, if they didn't have a bad round, being there and putting an arm around them and saying, no, okay, okay, what do we learn from it? How do we grow from it? Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, the backgrounds that we've had is, you know, I've seen some parents that have chastised their children when they've been playing. Um, mm. And it, do, it doesn't help. Um, so yeah. parent, as a parent of a golfer, positive support, positive encouragement. When things don't go well, that's okay. What can you learn from it? How yeah. Forward from there. You yeah. Know, yeah. If they are, you're putting with terrible, your wedges are terrible. You know, give them support. Give them guidance. That's what they're young people. They're young yeah. with only 12, 13, 14 years of existence and experience on this planet. So... Sure. They, they need to build that awareness and they need to build that experience quickly. And it comes through the experiences that we have as, as adults. Um, yeah. Hey, this thing's going to cut us off in about 20 seconds. Okay. I didn't even realize it did this. An hour flew by. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've been on an hour. So it says 10 seconds. But um, I really appreciate you doing this. I think it was a really good talk. And um, thanks. Um, let's do it again uh, before it cuts yeah. off. Um, yeah. Hey, look, could go, I could go all day. I know, all day. I know some of uh, some of the conversations I've had on here are 
just great. I mean, there's, yeah, we, we could do another hour probably, I'm sure. Could, like I said, there's like, so much to talk about. There is, and there's, you know, you can go into as much detail of it as you want as well. Yeah. Um, but I think just getting, uh, continuing to get the information out there is really important. Yeah. Um, and getting good information. I'm not talking obviously the technology or anything like that, but just get the information to parents, get information to the supporting uh, network that players yeah. have, I think is is crucial. Um, and then the communication that everybody has with themselves uh, mm -hmm. within, that, within that framework. So within the coaches, the parents, the grandparents, uh, the teachers, the, the strength and conditioning, the mental, the player themselves. And yeah. um, I think that's, that will just benefit everybody. Yeah, it really well. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate you uh, having me on. Yeah, um, for sure. For sure. Obviously, yeah, we'll just continue to to talk and continue to, you know, we, like I say we can do this again. I'm yeah, more than happy to, and more than happy to get some of my guys on as well. Okay. Um, so that people just learn and people understand how to develop correctly. Um, yeah. Too many, I think, too many good players sometimes fall by the wayside because of the lack of knowledge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's honestly, that's, that's the reason I started this whole project was, you know, after recruiting young players for a few years and then just an understanding of a lot of families and parents and players just don't know what they don't know. Yeah. I just wanted to create something that, you know, we could have people on who know what they're talking about that can just provide information and be a resource and just help yeah. guide these young players and their families as they're trying to navigate junior golf. So, yeah, I mean, I, Jonathan, I think that's hugely admirable. Excuse me. Um, because I think the the world that we live in now is there is a lot of information readily available. Mm -hmm. And the more quality information that can get put out there and pertaining to all different areas of development. Yeah. Um, not just swim technique, not just technical, not just, right. you know, how do I hit the chip shot? How do I hit, you know, the lower ball flight, higher ball yeah. flight, whatever it may be. Um, but actual true development that supports everything that goes on within a golf swing, that precurses a golf swing almost. Sure. I think that is, I think that's really good. And, and you doing this is, like I say, is hugely admirable. And Thanks. I think um, that hopefully it will grow as quickly as possible. Um, and the more people that we reach and contact them, the better everybody will be informed. Yeah, I agree. It's actually surprised me. I mean, the, the breadth of the reach is, has been strong. Um, yeah. I mean, I think right now it's been listened to, and I think 29 countries and within the U S 46 States or something like that. So that's awesome. Yeah. I just, you know, and we're 42 episodes in, so, you know, not very far along, really. So I just feel like it's got an opportunity to really kind of deepen within those markets that it has reached so far. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, the, more, the continuation of doing everything and the more you keep pushing it, mm -hmm. um, the more people will get to hear about it and yeah. tune in and then and listen to just the conversations that we have. And it's very – it's almost like – it's almost like pub talk in England, <laughs> yeah. but it's really informative pub talk um, sure. because you, we can go in every different direction and, and have great insight and conversation and dialogue. Mm -hmm. And if there's multiple little bits of 
golden nuggets that's passed on or said, then maybe they resonate with people differently at different times. Absolutely. And I, I think that's what's great. About well, it's interesting because I've had, you know, like I said, this is, I think, the 42nd episode. Um, I've talked a lot about a lot of the same stuff because there's a lot of really fundamental aspects to the game, technically and just holistically, you know, mentally, physically, all those types of things. Yeah. The good players, the successful teachers, the successful coaches uh, all believe in similar things yeah but just have different ways of communicating it and like you said it just hits people in different ways yeah absolutely i mean yeah there's there's more in england you say there's more than one way to kind of skin a cat right yeah we say that in the u.s too no you do okay good (laughs) there's there's so many ways of so many ways of playing this game there's so many ways of getting the ball around a golf course yeah i think with the involvement of technology, the involvement of knowledge, science, research, everything that's coming along, it just gives greater understanding um, and lots of information. But for people that are passing that information on, yeah, I think it needs to be just simplified from their perspective. So sure. it's, not, it's not say how much you know, it's passing the information on that is correct. So you don't say everything that you know, you say what the player needs to know. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. with TrackMan, you don't look at all the, you know, the 30, 40 plus data parameters. Right. You pick out the one or two that are kind applicable. of applicable to that one player. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, there's many ways to do it. Yeah, but the, for sure. Doing everything with sincerity and genuineness, I think, is the driving force behind any yeah. of a player. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's a lot of good people in the game and people that want to share information and, you know, help people grow and introduce more people to the game and grow it. And so, yeah, we'll just keep doing that. Uh, absolutely. But like I said, oh, we can do an, another one of these as well. Uh, yeah. Because like I said, there's so much information. Just saying, there's so yep. much to go through. You know, we can talk, we can talk more ground force reaction. Yeah. Um, we can just talk very loosely like we've talked tonight as well. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, people that join or, you know, when you put this out on different streams or different locations and whoever yeah. picks it up, you know, if they just pick up something, just a little thing, then it's worth an hour and tw- 10 minutes of our time. Yeah. yeah. And I'm more than happy to spend more, many more hours continuing to talk and continuing to discuss these types of things. Yeah. Um, because I think it's so important, and I think it's it's one aspect of growing the game. Yep, yep. Because you keep more people in. If you allow people to have more fun and develop better, then more people will stay in the game. Yep. Um, burnout and people just getting fed up because they've been bashed from pillar to pillar. Yeah. One of the main reasons why people quit the game. Yeah. You know, with back injuries, but yep. they just burn out and they just have enough. So. You know, the best way to keep people in the game is to retain them in the game. Yeah. Not to lose them. For sure. For so, sure. Uh, yeah. Well, good. Okay. Well, um, well since we much. jump back on, I wasn't going to do this, but since we jump back on, the normally the way that I wrap up is I ask the guest to um, kind of hold the mic for a second and 
throw a question or two at me if there's anything that through our conversation sparked anything for you that um, I can answer. And I, I don't know what that is. It's up to you. It can be something about me or something about this project or just junior golf in general. Um, okay. That's kind of how I wrap up. All right. So within your within the previous history of everything that you've done in your life, yeah, were there was there one or were there multiple um, incidents that drove you to do what you're doing right now? This was so in were golf. There, yeah, in golf. So or, or outside of golf, you know. So what what kickstarted the idea of doing the podcast? You know, what gave you that impress? What gave you that initial spark that made you think, right? I really want to put something together and I really want to try and connect with as many people as possible. Um, um, I sort of alluded to it earlier, but really it was when I was, I haven't stepped away from the junior game, obviously because I'm still attached and I'm trying to provide value for the community yeah. uh, of junior golf. But when my, um, I guess, primary job responsibilities shifted from, junior golf to now I'm trying to grow a professional tournament on yeah. the corn Ferry tour. Um, I didn't want to leave junior golf behind because I just wanted to stay tied to it. And so yeah. um, I just saw it as an opportunity based on the experience that I had with working with so many families that I just knew there was a lot of information that I talked to those families about yeah. that they weren't going to be able to get unless they had conversations with people in similar positions as I was in when I was recruiting young players. Okay. So I just felt like it was an opportunity for me to take the experience that I had in the network that I had developed and just pull everybody together to create a resource that can answer questions and provide information for families and for kids that are looking for that. Okay. Very. Oh, that's over. That's really good. What do you do at the moment with the corn ferry? So now I'm working for, I work for a golf management company, Global Golf Management. Yeah. And I'm the sales manager for the Lecom Suncoast Classic, which is a tournament in the Lakewood Ranch, uh, Sarasota, Florida area. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So, so just working on, you know, community development, building partnerships and sponsors to get behind the event, just to continue to, you know, create a good event for the community. So yeah. um, how's, that go? how's that going? Good. I, I actually, I volunteered. I was a hospitality uh, chair on the volunteer committee the first year of the tournament, yeah. uh, which was last year. This was the second year. The tournament was in February. Yeah. And so we got it off right before, you know, Corona really took off. Um, so we were fortunate there, but yeah, it was great. I mean, Corn Ferry tour wise, um, we had, we had about 20,000 spectators that came out in year two, which is last year we had about 17, five. So that was top 10 on the Corn Ferry tour. So, I think we're inching a little bit closer, maybe to top five. I don't know where statistics will, well, obviously it's going to be skewed this year because there's some events that don't have spectators at all. So um, that'll be interesting to see how they kind of stack yeah. that, stack I mean, rank that. Yeah, that's going to be, that makes, yeah, that makes your job a lot more difficult. Yeah. Um, when there's no spectators, because, yeah, I mean, I think they're going to be getting ready for the, um, I think it's the RBC coming up shortly. And that's been rescheduled, and they, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's nobody. Like normally, I know. normally Hilton Head is buzzing. Um, the island is packed. Yeah. Logistically, there is so much to organise. Yeah. But this year, absolutely nothing. It's just like a men's Saturday competition at your right. local golf course, really. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. Fortunately for us, we got it off this year. Yeah. It won't take place until next February. So have no idea how the rest of this year is going to play out and, you know, what events and tournaments are going to look like going forward. But we're definitely starting to plan and, you know, being conscious of what the environment might be like at that time. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to create some opportunities for companies to get involved to entertain clients or, you know, to bring employees out and stuff like that, that, um, you know, just being conscious of social distancing and, you know, those types of things so that we can make yeah. sure that we're still able to provide a really good product um, yeah. for those companies that are involved in, in putting, you know, some of their hard earned dollars to work from a marketing and branding perspective. So, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. That is, that is a tough challenge, but good yeah. that you're doing that. That's awesome. And like Thanks. I say, it's great that you're doing this as well. Thanks. Um, and let's do, let's do more in the future. Okay. Um, and then, Again, continue getting the good message out to everybody, as many people as possible. For sure, for um, sure. So, uh, sounds like a plan. I'll uh, hopefully I get up to Hilton Head sooner rather than later. I'll definitely look you up when I get up there. Yeah, do yeah. Drop drop me a message. Um, I know. I know. We tried to hook up last time that you were up here, and I think yeah, um, I was doing something. You know, life was crazy at the time. Um, <laughs> no worries. Uh, but yeah, just let me know, and then we'll hook up for sure. Okay. Well, all the best yeah. to you and your family, and uh, new venture with G two. Okay, thanks, Matt. Have a good day. Right. Take See care. You. Bye. Bye. Well, that wraps up episode 42 of Junior Golf Keys with our guest this week, Dan Jackson, the director of golf performance at the G2 Academy in Bluffton, Hilton Head area, South Carolina. Uh, really appreciate you guys tuning in for this episode. Appreciate Dan for his time. Um, you know, obviously we're both passionate about this space. We had a really good conversation, as you can tell, uh, by the audio, we cut out after an hour mark on the Instagram live and jumped back on and kind of finished the conversation for another 15 minutes or so. So, um, you know, definitely a little bit lengthier of a podcast, but, um, man, the time flew by for both of us. We really enjoyed it and hopefully we brought you guys some value. So, uh, if we did in fact bring you some value, um, please share the podcast, please like it, please leave a review. Also make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss out on some of the exciting guests that we've got coming up. And I hope you join me next week for another episode of Junior Golf Keys.